Welcome back. It's 9 o'clock. Jim and the Buckeye Boy from the Bozarth Miller Chevrolet Buick Studios. The most trusted name in automobiles. We had the, uh, the text from Larry from Clifton earlier about uh, Alabama's running back. He wants to transfer to Colorado. That is Trey Sanders. No relation, by the way, to Coach Deion Sanders. Trey Sanders tweeting out, You got room for me, Unc? Question mark? Uh, yeah, he probably does. One of the nation's top-ranked class of 2019 running backs. He's had a lot of injuries at Alabama, one of which uh, involved a car accident in 2020. And uh, so he was, at, during his four years at Alabama, 528 yards on 116 carries. He entered, he entered the portal on November 22nd. So, see what uh, what happens there. That maybe Trey Sanders, former Alabama running back, moves on to play for the Colorado Buffaloes and Coach Prime. All right, 901. Jim along with the Buckeye Boy from the Bozarth Miller Chevrolet Buick Studios. The most trusted name in automobiles. Uh, once again, just want to mention very briefly this morning that... Um, WNBA star Brittany Griner is being released from Russian detention, part of a uh, prisoner swap involving convicted Russian arms dealer Viktor Bout. And this is uh, coming through multiple sources. President Biden also uh, announcing that the the uh, prisoner exchange is going to happen. Paul Whelan, unfortunately, not part of the swap. And while for the family of Brittany Griner, I'm obviously good that she's coming home. Mm-hmm. Paul Whelan's been there a long time, and he should not be forgotten in this whole thing. As as, as good as it is that Brittany Griner's being released, Paul Whelan should not be forgotten. He's been wrongfully detained there. He should be coming home as well. Hopefully that will happen in the near future. But don't want to forget that part of it. Because here's another American that's been wrongfully detained by Russian authorities for far too long. All right, 902, Jim along with the Buckeye Boy. And uh, coming up in a little bit, we'll have uh, the stay in sports history. We do have a winner, by the way, for who is it today? Yes, we do. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the winner of the contest. It's another winner on the Team Sports Network. So let's refresh the clues. The only coach in CU history to play in more than one bowl game and win them all. And the only coach in Colorado FBS history, CU, CSU, Air Force, to have back-to-back 10-win seasons to start my coaching career. None other than Rick Neuheisel went 3-for-3 in bowl games for the Buffaloes. Tom, first in the door, correctly identifying Rick Neuheisel. Bill McCartney went 3-for-9. In bowl games. So there's that. But uh, after he left, Rick Neuheisel went 10-2, and 10-2, and back-to-back. The only coach, CU, CSU, Air Force, to do that. In his first two years, back-to-back. You like Neuheisel? I as, as an analyst, I do too. I've always liked him. I, I always have as well. And um, the only, if I remember correctly, the only University of Colorado football coach to ever play in the USFL, I he was so. a quarterback for the San Antonio Gunslingers. Yeah, and now back in the he's day. the second best and a and a, a pro football player 
of all CU football coaches. There we go. After Deion Sanders. After Prime. Coach Prime. Of course. Sorry, Rick. That, you're way down. Sorry, Rick. Yeah, you're way down the list. USFL well, Pro Football Hall of Fame. Let's see. John Embry played in the league. Rick Neuheisel is still second best yeah, pro football player. Pro- probably so. <laughs> probably so. All right. Uh, so so get your picks in for a pile pigskin pick powered by Kistner Motors. You could win, uh, of course, a weekly prize like Charles Chelly did. Charles, an old uh, high school classmate of mine back in the day. He did not win for that reason, though. He earned it. Uh, now because uh, of our connection. We sure? Absolutely, yes. Senior citizens. All- what? That's, that's the wrong one. Sorry. I didn't mean to play that. I clicked that on accident. I meant to play this. I'm an old man. Sorry. Anyway, congratulations, Charles. Gets a $15 gift certificate to 357 Bar and Grill or 357 Reloaded. So congratulations to him. And you could win one of those two $500 gift cards to play it again sports in the Valley Plaza or that big green egg smoker and grill from yeah. Fruit of Co-op Country. So uh, get your picks in. Go to our website. Must be 21 or older. Go to the team 1340com Reloaded right down the street from the house. Big big fan of their fries. Let's go right there. Yep. All right. So we had Mike Kruger on the other day. Mike is the uh, commissioner of the Colorado High School Activities Association. We covered a lot of things. High school football, high school basketball, touched on a little wrestling as well. So uh, we're trying to get Mike on a regular basis to, to talk about things here on the Western Slope. Now that we have a chassis commissioner that that we got a guy that has you know roots though mike was born in denver but he mm-hmm. spent a good chunk of his life over here that's a, that's definitely it that's not mike but why, why why'd you play that there why because well, you said now we got a, a western slope guy okay that's okay ahead of chassis thank you for you're welcome for just explaining that to me because yeah. like what what is that okay because that, that's the bit that all just, front t- teams are away from. Anytime you play, anytime we reference chassis, you always have to play that. It's not fair to make them travel. It's only fair to make the Western Slope travel. <laughs> poor, poor Ryan Casey. I mean, the guy said it. Ryan didn't, but also Ryan said it very sarcastically, too. Let's keep that in mind. I don't know what you mean. So, here's our conversation we had with Chassis Commissioner Mike Kruger. We just wrapped up the football season with uh, the state championships on, on Saturday. And I know that uh, the goal down the road is to continue to play games at Empower Field a mile high. Uh, how is that looking in terms of the future for Chassa to still have that, that venue where, where high school players get to step on the same field as the Broncos? Uh, because I know it sounds like both parties would really like that to continue on. Yeah, there's no doubt. We, I mean, it's such a neat venue, and there's a, you know, when you walk, Onto that field, there's such an ambiance, you know, where the Denver Broncos play in. Uh, such a great stadium, and you can see. Looks like we're having some, <laughs> of course we're having cell phone problems today with Mike. Of course we're having problems. Looks like we're having an issue with uh, with Mike's phone, so hopefully uh, we'll be able to get uh, Mike back on with us in a moment. Um, there we go, Mike. I'm sorry we lost you there, bud. Oh, sorry, bud. Um, are you back? Yeah, I think we're good. I think we're good. We're, we're cooking okay. with gas again. Okay, good, bud. Um, anyway, I was just saying, Jim, that it's certainly no doubt that's our top priority. We love playing there. We love the opportunity for our kids to compete there. It's, it's uh, obviously the, uh, an incredible venue with so much history, and it's where the Broncos play. And 
Um, so we love it. So it is a it is a high priority for us. At the same time, um, you know, we love working with the Broncos. We love working with the Colorado Sports Hall of Fame. And uh, but at the same time, we we've, we've got to be responsible to our our schools and our membership. And it's got to be a, uh, a situation that works for all parties involved. And so. We will definitely go in and, and hopefully, uh, as we negotiate those contracts, uh, we hope and we it is our, our highest hope that we can continue to operate there. But um, again, we need to look at it with open eyes and make sure that we're being responsible. How is the relationship to work with CSU Pueblo? Because we had here locally Delta played in, in the state championship game a couple of weekends ago uh, over at Pueblo. Yeah. It seems like that's a relationship that, that has worked out pretty well. Part of that was kind of came together because of COVID and, and, and that, yeah. uh, in that situation. But it seems like it's something that's turned into a, a real positive for, for the football postseason. I'll tell you what, it's really, yes, I 100% agree. And the thing that's exciting about that partnership, the community of Pueblo just uh, really rallies around this, and, and they do such a good job. They're so inviting. They're so welcoming. Uh, the, like I said, the community gets involved. CSU Pueblo, the personnel there uh, just do a phenomenal job of working with us during those uh, actually it's over two weekends because we have 3A down there as well um, the following weekend so really uh, just lucky to have that group working with us and and we think it's a great venue uh, the uh, you know it's a beautiful stadium a beautiful field and um, it's nice you know talking with the six and eight eight-man football schools and as well as 1A, 2A, and 3A um, everybody seemed to have just a really great time, and, and they really accommodated uh, the, the fans and the programs, and it was just a great experience. And, of course, we had Dove Creek, uh, you know, of course, way, way south of us, uh, right there on the Utah border, winning their first state football championship. So kind of a, yeah. a cool thing that somebody on this side of the hill, and, of course, we had Delta in the, in the state title game this year in 2A as well. So some Western Slope-ish representatives uh, playing in in-state championship games uh, this past season. Chassa Commissioner Mike Kruger with us today. So, Mike, when we look ahead to next football season, some of the things that people, that, that high school football fans can expect to see next year? What are some of the, the changes on the horizon? Well, we're in the middle of a, a classification cycle. So uh, what that means is that we're, we're right now uh, working really, really, really hard. John Sullivan, who's just done an amazing job stepping in and taking over football for us as assistant commissioner in charge of football. Uh, he's working on the, the placements for programs. So that's always uh it's a it's a fun time, but it's also a really anxious time because schools are are always wondering them want to make sure that find out where they are. And we've changed that process a little bit to try to increase communication between the schools and our staff. And um, but at same uh, the the football uh, placements are the only ones that the state actually does. So the rest of uh, yeah, I don't know how many people know that, but but in terms of like volleyball, basketball, actually the membership places themselves in leagues, and we approve those. Uh, it's kind of a symbiotic thing, but football, the state's asked to do it. So it's a little bit of added responsibility, and John has undertaken that. So uh, we'll be in the process of that. And then looking forward, we keep looking uh, ahead, and obviously we always remain very uh, focused on athlete wellness and, and safety. So we, we're constantly looking at, at uh, any pro- protocols, procedures relative to athlete uh, safety, especially in, in football. And, um, you know, we work with our sports medicine advisory committee on that. So right now um, we're kind of, to be honest with you, Jim, we're just, as the season just wrapped up Saturday, now we will have uh, a couple of uh, 
opportunities to sit down with stakeholders and say, how did things go? What, uh, what do we need to address? And we'll start looking at those things. Chassis Commissioner Mike Kruger joining us today on uh, the Jim Davis Show on the Team Sports Network. Uh, so football is is now in the books for this year. We, we, we turned the page to basketball. We had the Warrior Challenge uh, just this uh, past week at, at Central High School, a tournament you're very familiar with during your time yep. at, at Palisade High School. So uh, now that we're into the start of basketball season and when we talk about some changes in terms of leagues and classification and things like that, uh, there, there some of the league configurations, Mike. I'm, I'm just, I'll, I'll use the. It's interesting. Some of the league configurations. <laughs> uh, yeah. Take us through some of this because there's, there's been some folks like with with Fruto Monument being the only six A team here on this side of the hill in both uh, boys and girls basketball. Palisade being in a league that only has four teams actually in its league. Take us through some of this because when it came out, we were we were perplexed on some of this. Uh, enlighten us on 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 why maybe a couple, I mean, obviously with, with Fruita, they're the largest high school here on the side of the hill, but boy, it right. just doesn't seem like they should be a 6A program. Uh, just your, your thoughts and, and, and how some of these things came together. Yeah, I think we're in a little bit of a, well, and I'll be honest with you, coming in, uh, there was a few things that changed over the last few years, and multi-classification leagues were one of those. Um, you know, we used to talk quite a bit, and I know on the West Slope we we certainly used to talk about competitive equity and, um, you know, and, and how do we make sure that programs are, are in positions to compete equally. And uh, if you remember, we used to classify schools just with the basketball numbers. So your basketball, where, where you were placed with basketball became where you, all of your programs were placed with, of course, the exception of football, which the state did. So, um, you know, in the last few years, what we've done is we've really, uh, the reality of multi-classification leagues have become a thing. And um, I'll be honest with you, I'm still adjusting to that, um, um, to that perspective. I'm a little bit of a traditionalist. I, I like uh, traditional league rivalries. I love district tournaments. I love regional play. Um, but that's me, and I realize that we're a membership-driven organization, and um, right now, again, the membership decides on their league placements. We place programs, um, you know, for volleyball, basketball in this sense, uh, in this example. Uh, the, we will place the program, but the, the, the schools and the membership themselves create their own league. So it does create an interesting dynamic when you have uh, a school like Fruta who's, who's a little bit bigger than the other schools, but... I think there's also that uh, feeling where we have to look at some of those dynamics. I can tell you um, that our staff has sat down and really talked about this with leagues and, and with our own staff and said, um, I understand that the pendulum in the last few years swung to multi-classification leagues and trying to make as many things balanced as possible. So in other words, you know, placing a, a softball program and a volleyball program, you could have you could have programs that one is 4A and one is 3A um, in the same school. That's a reality. But I also think it's important that we let the pendulum swing back a little bit to making decisions that are based on geography and what makes sense um, from a geography standpoint. In other words, it doesn't make sense to me to be playing in a high school where we've had a traditional rivalry and we drive by that high school to play a game uh, with someone else that's 10 or 15 miles down the road because of what we call competitive equity. And I totally respect and understand wanting to compete against programs that, you know, so are, are, can be successful. 
But uh, like I tell everybody here, that is a little bit of an I-25 corridor mentality because when you get on the western slope, geography determines your competitive equity. When you get out on the eastern plains, geography determines your competitive equity. So we've got to balance those things and maybe bring geography a little bit back into the picture. Mike Kruger, the commissioner of uh, the Cabra High School Activities Association, uh, joining us today on the Jim Davis Show on the Team Sports Network. And, and you know, for Palisade, it's a, it's a 5A, 4A Western Slope League. They're now a 5A program with with the inclusion of, or the, the creation, I should say, of, of a 6A classification. And so they, you know, they do play, they have rifle, which is rival over the years with, with Palisade, but, uh, but you know, a, a different classification uh, with the rifle bears. It, it's, it's a bit of a hodgepodge where they, you know, they do play Fruita Monument and Central, which, which make, term, you know, make a lot of sense in terms of, of geography and things like that. So it is a, it, it, and Montrose is, is in that mix as well. Uh, so it's really a, an interesting combination of, of, of schools. Some of them make total sense because of geography, which is something that you're speaking to. In the case of Palisade, yes, there are only f- three other teams in their 5A league, if you will, but they are playing other, other schools, other classifications during their schedule. Yeah, a, a great example. And, and I'll, again, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm still adjusting to the multi-classification league uh, perspective. Um, I know we, we have a lot of uh, support for it uh, across the state. A lot of folks like it because it, it does allow some more flexibility um, and it puts programs in place. It is, you know, where, where they puts programs in places where they feel they can be successful. Um, I do sometimes worry about what that does to smaller classifications. You know, when you're in those 1A ranks to begin with, where do you go? Um, who do you play? As we continue to move things around and we move schools up and down. But I think at the end of the day, Jim, I think there's true efforts. Um, you know, that we've got an amazing staff. Uh, that loves to work with the leagues on this and as we place programs make sure that we're doing it uh, in a way that makes sense for the community and makes sense for the school that's the one thing that we really i feel have addressed coming in uh, and, and folks said um, my first day on the job they said the thing you need to get on your radar right away is the, the clock process the clock is the classification league organization committee and how we're placing schools and to be honest with you, um, I think one of the things that we've done really well is we've created a new process that will allow communication to happen with schools um, earlier in the process and really talk to communities, talk to the school leaders there. And even if you, um, you know, hopefully we can come to agreement and you can understand, a school can understand why a, a program was placed in a specific place in a, or a specific classification. And even at the end of the day, if we disagree, you'll be able to go back to your community and say, hey, this is what the state was thinking. This is why this program was placed here. And we do still have an appeals process. I think the problem we were having, um, you know, recently is um, that you were placed in a program and then there was uh, not an opportunity to really talk with the schools in the community and you just had to immediately go to the appeals process. And that was I feel was uh, something we could definitely do better. It's just the more communication that happens early, the better, and people know where they stand, and you can certainly have a lot of debate and dialogue going into those kinds of uh, discussions. Chassis Commissioner Mike Kruger with us today on the Team Sports Network. Uh, not just basketball uh, getting going, but, but wrestling as well, and anything you want to highlight when it comes to the start of the wrestling season. Wow, I'll tell you, um, we're just excited. It's such a great sport. I can tell you one thing that's coming forward, Jim, and I, I, the reason that wrestling pops in my mind when you, when you ask that question, 
we've been working really hard on the pay structure for officials, and um, that's been a current issue. I know you and I have talked about that one in previous conversations. Um, wrestling one was one that was really a little bit of a challenge. So um, because there's such a variety of different formats um, in terms of you can have duels with different schools, you can have triangulars, quadrangulars, then you get into tournaments and bracket play. Um, so we, we really worked with the Colorado Wrestling Officials Association as well as schools uh, to, to get that part figured out. It was uh, one of the more challenging ones, I'll be honest with you, but I think we've got a, a structure together that the membership's going to see here shortly. Um, actually, it's out. Um, it was just released yesterday, but it'll be, uh, there'll be a more formal presentation and vote here coming up in January, but it's been a high-priority item for us and our staff. We weren't sure we could, uh, we could get it done, to be honest with you, in a way that didn't uh, really impact school budgets to the point where you know, we had to think about programs and that kind of thing and where we could make significant cuts. Uh, we did it in a, in a process, a step uh, over a three-year process, which really makes a good impact for officials, but at the same time uh, really respects the, the fact that school budgets are always tight, and uh, we have to do that. So wrestling was one that challenged us there, but in terms of wrestling, we're just excited. We're going to be at Ball Arena again for the state wrestling championships, which is always a great venue, um, and we'd love to host it there. But in girls wrestling continues to grow which we're super excited about there as well. So just a lot of great things happening in, in all our winter sports. And I'll throw ice hockey and, uh, and swim, swimming in there as well. Just uh, really great stuff for all of our kids. All right, Mike Kruger, Chassis Commissioner, joined us the other day. If you want to hear the rest of the interview, there's still about another uh, 10 minutes to go where we talked to about Mike or talked with Mike about uh, their new uh, initiative to get more people involved in officiating. If you want to hear the the rest of that interview, the the entirety of it, you can find that at our website, theteam1340.com, our Facebook page, and our Twitter feed as well. All right, 922. Appreciate Mike coming on the other day. Always good catching up with Mike Kruger. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll have this day in sports history. Some garbage time. A little, uh, little fashion breakdown, Buckeye, later on the new XFL uniforms. Because you know me and my alternative yeah, football league. We love doing that. So we'll be talking about that. A little red carpet action with uh, the new XFL uniform. So we'll get into that later on as well. Still time to text in today. 970-242-1340. So this day in sports history coming up. Also, Deion Sanders is catching a lot of heat for leaving Jackson State. Because of the, the air quote promise that he made. Yeah. To stay there at a historically black college and build up the reputation of of an uh, you know of that institution and its football program. So we'll, we'll get to that coming up next. Is it criticism that's fair? Uh, text or call us 970-242-1340. Jim Davis Show on the Team Sports Network. Every morning. The Jim Davis Show on Colorado's sports leader, the Team. 925. Thanks for spending your Thursday morning with us, Jim and the Buckeye Boy. Jim Davis Show on the Team Sports Network, 1011 FM, 1340 AM here in the Valley and 102.1. Along Highway 50, you can always listen to us, stream us from our website, get the mobile app with all of our NBC Grand Radio stations, and you can uh, get that at theteam1340.com. Plus the mobile app, uh, you can go and get it on Google Play, Mm -hmm. Apple App Store as well. So... Here in Colorado, I think most 
Buffs fans. I haven't heard anybody yet that's not been happy about one Dion Sanders, Coach Prime, coming to Boulder and coaching the Colorado Buffaloes. But there are those that have criticized Dion Sanders for taking the money and running to a Power 5 program. And among those is Bamani Jones, who um, has podcasts, uh, also TV show on HBO Max, uh, ESPN broadcaster as well. And uh, Bomani Jones has made, 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 made noted the hot take artist Mo- is make, making the rounds. He's matter of fact, right now talking with Stephen A. Smith on on ESPN about it. And Bomani Jones feels like that Deion Sanders sold Jackson State and uh, HBCUs, historically black colleges or universities, uh, a bad bill of goods. Because he had made the comment Deion Sanders had when he took over the Jackson State job that he made the statement that he he had a he his goal was to go and fix HBCUs. He said that God to- sent him to fix historically black colleges and universities, and that was that was the dream was to go there and do that. And Bomani Jones is saying, "Well, you 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 made those comments, and now you're walking out on that plan, on that on that dream of making HBCUs more relevant to to go to Colorado, taking the money and running." He said he had a long-term vision for what was going on at Jackson State. But his goals and ambitions were always to be a Power 5 head football coach. My take has always been that he went to Jackson State primarily because he wanted to be a head coach but didn't want to be to ever be anybody's assistant coach. So he had to find somebody that would give him a job and make him a head coach so he could have that on his resume. Then he could take that to try to get the job that he actually wanted. He says, I don't judge him for taking the job at Colorado. That's the first. That's one lie. But but you are though. You are Bomani Jones, who I think yeah. is a really bright guy. I, I I like a lot of the things that he 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 says. He's also a hot take guy. You don't like everything he says. Like like everybody. You don't like everything. Every people listen to the show. Don't like everything we have to say. But but don't sit there and don't judge him. Don't say you're 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 not judging him when you're judging him. But Monty Jones, you're judging him. You're saying you know, he promised to to stay at Jackson State and and increase the profile of HBCUs and and, 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 he, and he did and he did that to a degree, but he didn't finish the job. If you're holding somebody accountable for a viewpoint they had four years ago, that's part of that's on you, right? People change, people evolve. It's the whole thing, and. Dion wanted to fix it. He also wanted to raise the profile, and he did that. That part, raising the profile, mission accomplished. College game day was in Jackson, Mississippi this year. Never happened before. Never happened before. That's raising the profile, right? Dion Sanders, if I'm not mistaken, I don't read everything that's put out everywhere for that's said by everybody. I don't think Dion Sanders once said... We're going to make the HBCUs the biggest thing in college football, the biggest thing in colleges, collegiate 
life. It's going to be bigger than SEC sports and Ivy League degrees, which is essentially what Bomani Jones is holding him to that standard. The, the, well, the, he left before the job was done. The yeah. job's never going to be done. One, one of the lines from, from Sanders was, God sent me here to fix HBCUs. Okay, uh, number one, Dion, I'm not sure how you're going to fix every single HBCU. That's that's a pretty tall order. You're only you're you're the only coach of the coach of one football team in in the HBCU ranks. So I'm not sure how you fix all of them. But what he did do though was like you said, he he made HBCUs more relevant. He got Travis Hunter, top player in the country, to flip from Florida State to play at Jackson State, an FCS school. College yeah. Game Day was there. He brought relevance and attention to historically black colleges and universities. Maybe it was focused on Jackson State, but like I said, he's not coaching every team in it. He's not. He's not the commissioner of, you know, of a of a league of or conference of HBCUs. Mm-hmm. He can only do so much. Though Deion Sanders is man of great ego that yeah. uh, you know feels like he could fix all of them. Well, what he what he said was wrong. He wasn't going to fix them all, but what he did do was he helped the rest of them by being nationally recognized and making them relevant mm-hmm. and, and bringing attention to players that are pretty darn good football players. And did he fix them all? No, no. What is fixing them all though? What? Yeah, like, it'd be what you're saying that Bomani Jones didn't say this, but he's kind of implying making them on the same kind of plane as turning them into the black the, ivy league or whatever exactly right? exactly whatever that whatever that and was supposed to like, be like i don't know what bolani jones is getting at i don't know what he wants from Deion sanders but this is also where bolani jones and this is not going to be good tv this isn't good radio it's not good podcasting of which he does all three not particularly well in my opinion but things okay he's just he's a loud mouth that has opinions that he just says stuff just to be different. And one, that drives me nuts. Two, for Bomani Jones, if you're in this industry, if you're in life now in 2022, and someone in a in a public standing tells you one thing and you buy it at face value, part of that's on you. Part of that's on Bomani Jones for being, quote-unquote, fooled. By oh, by Deion Sanders. Deion's a sellout. Like, he sold us a bill of goods. You believed it. You don't have to believe everything everybody says. I mean, come on. We're, we're talking, I don't care what level of football it is. Whether we're, we're talking FCS or FBS. When, we're, when, are we getting into, when we get into that, particularly a guy like Deion Sanders, which is a unicorn in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Anytime a coach says something at that level... Or a guy like Deion Sanders, who happens to be coaching at, at the FCS level. Or at any you, level. That, yeah, I'm here forever. I'm never going to go anywhere. This is the, the place I want to be. How many times have you heard that from coaches over the years? Every my, single year somebody says it. My commitment is to blah, 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 blah. I'm, I'm, go, I'm, I'm forever you know, going to be you know, a, a die-in-the-wool, crimson-tide head coach. What I'm just throwing it. Or whatever. This is this is my place. Mm-hmm. How many times is it actually that that's the case where that guy stays there forever? Hardly H- ever. Hardly ever. And so... I'm waiting for somebody like Bomani Jones to be like, man, 
Jerry Kill said he would be here forever. Well, he was having seizures and he was going to die if he kept coaching. He'd well, be, yeah. he said he'd be here forever. He made he's the really selling us a bill of goods. Yeah, and in the case of this, it's or like you know, man, though that Marshall coach said he was going to be here forever. Well, he died in a plane crash. So, well, he said he was going to be here forever, yeah. and he let us down. I'm waiting for that. That's the next step in the evolution for the Bomani Joneses of the world. I'm just not sure for Deion Sanders if 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 it's is he supposed to commit his entire coaching life to staying at Jackson State of, of being an Eddie Robinson. He wants he wants him to be Eddie Robinson, who Eddie Robinson, incredible, legendary college football coach at Grambling State. And what, part of Dion probably shouldn't uh, have said it if he doesn't mean yeah, it. Shouldn't he shouldn't have said that? But you know what? Four years ago, he very well could have meant right. I want to be here for the rest of my coach. And then you know what? It turns out, hey, you're pretty good at recruiting. You're pretty good at coaching. And it's not that Dion is broke, but it's still life altering money. Even if you have a lot of it, you can always have more, right? Not you can't always make more, but you would always like more. And, and to so, me, in, in, instead of instead of focusing on, isn't it great? There's another black head coach at a Power Five conference, Division One football, going to an institution that that obviously has has over the years embraced persons of color being the head coach of their football team. Mm-hmm. Instead, instead of celebrating that, it's he, he led me astray. He's a sellout. He he's a sellout. He's let he's letting all these institutions down. Because he promised he would go there and fix them. None of the other whom hired him. Southern didn't hire him. Like I said, he could only impact Jackson State directly. Mm-hmm. Now, the ripple effect is what we talked about. College game day showing up and and getting more attention to historically black colleges and universities. He he did that. He wasn't going to... F- Look, it's, it's like with Dion. It's like him coming up with the word braggadocious. Okay. Okay, I think it was, okay, you have think, to take this all with a grain of salt. He wasn't. No way was he going to go there and actually think in his right mind he was going to fix all the challenges of HBCUs. Come on, so you're you're literally going to take Bomani Jones. You're literally going to take that to heart. That that's that's what he meant to do. Mm-hmm. Is does he have? Is he morally compelled to stay there? Well, look, he's a Pro Football Hall of Famer. He's he's African American. He needs to stay here. He needs to commit himself to HBCUs. He needs to make that his his life's mission. He needs to die in Jackson, Mississippi, as head coach. And, and for some of for, the Tigers, for some former players, that that might be something that they would do. They would make that commitment to HBCUs to stay there, like an Eddie Robinson did for the entirety of his coaching career. Which also, as good as he was, sadly, horribly, he, he did, wasn't going to get opportunities to be a head coach at a Division One level. No, and Dion's because, taking a path that Eddie Robinson had blocked to him. Exactly. And and so I, I just think it's... But that's not Dion's fault. And just because Dion said that I'm, I'm here to fix, God sent me to fix HBCUs, doesn't mean that Dion Sanders has to stay there and do that. My thing is this, and, and, and Dion talked about this. Apparently, yes, and, it does. And this and this is something that I, I, I agree with. 
You go in and take something over. And if you leave it better than when you got there, you've done your job. That's 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 the 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 bare bones thing that you can do. And if you do anything beyond that, that's great. Jackson State hadn't been to the postseason, what, six years, something like that, before he got there. Yeah, something like that. And so he took them to heights that they have not had in a very, very long time with national recognition that they've never had. And so, I mean, prior to this, HBC is grambling, right? Yeah. Grambling State was like the only one you ever heard of because of Eddie Robinson. I just think for Bomani Jones, what? So, because Dion's rich, that that Dion is supposed to make this his life's work because you think that's what he should be doing? It's just ridiculous. How about, like I said, how, once again, how about applaud him for being a head coach at a Power 5 school and being African-American? How about, you're, you're happy about that. How about you, you, you sing the praises of that? Mm-hmm. As opposed to worrying about what he should have stayed there and and did and how he he sold everybody out and he let everybody down. He left it better and he left Jackson State better and he left HBCUs better. Yeah. Than when than before he got there. How about I give him some credit for that? And and the one interview that the Bomani Jones did, it was with another another network. The host was like, "Well, what about what do you, you know? What, the things I just referenced, you know, the and, and you did with college game day and and those things that doesn't he, doesn't he get credit for that? Should you not get credit for bringing more attention to it? I think you should. And he's not out here also giving CU credit for what they've done and the track record they've accomplished. Right? He's not out here doing that, Bomani Jones, where." I believe it's the first FBS school to hire four black head coaches, the first FBS school to hire three in a row, first-time head coaches. Right. Or not first-time, sorry, Carl Durrell wasn't. But And what was the other, about the FCS uh, black head coach you, you had on Monday? For, he's the first FCS coach to be hired by a Power 5 conference. Bomani Jones isn't out here applauding that. No, he's got his agenda. And I'm you, you know what I'm going to guess? At some point along the way, Deion Sanders said no to Bomani Jones about something. And this is where Probably. Probably. And 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 the thing is that though with Deion Sanders being there at Jackson State, he he did help to start the conversation about the, the financial disparity between those institutions and and others. I mean, yes, most of us know you have you have to be under a rock someplace to, you know, to to not know that the football budget of Michigan is a little bigger than li- Jackson. State. A little bit bigger than Jackson State's. And but also, but, the football budget at Jackson State is now bigger because of Deion. Because Sanders. Deion Sanders being there, and so we we talked about how the city of Jackson, how much they benefited from an economic standpoint by more people coming to watch Jackson State football. Because Sanders was there. It helped their local economy by more people showing up to watch Jackson State football because of the novelty of Deion Sanders being their head coach. Because of Coach Prime. Because of Coach Prime. And so, okay, he's he's not staying there to fulfill what Bomani Jones thinks should be his you know, missionary work, his life work, right? Like he's committed right. 
to this, and this is this should be what you know what, what he hangs his hat on for the rest of his life. He was just going there to build up his resume. Yeah, that, that's exactly what he did. He's a college football coach. That's what of they, course he was. That's what he. That's what he did. And so what? They, everybody does that. Just because you have this perception of what he should have done, Omari right. Jones, as opposed to what Dion really wanted to do, that's on you. That's not on Dion Sanders. And I would say that regards he wouldn't. He could be going to coach Arizona, or I, I don't care mm-hmm. where he'd. And I'd feel the same way about it. He made it better. It was a. It's a better situation than when he got there. What else he's supposed to do? And really, that's Simple what that. he said. And. If he left there and they were one and nine and they weren't great and he was wedging his kid in who wasn't very good, you know, and Oh, you mean like um Ed McCaffrey? Yeah. If he was Ed McCaffrey, then you know what? Maybe Bomani Jones would have a story here. But he's not. That team is twelve and zero. They're gonna win the celebration bowl. Yeah. You know, in all likelihood. They they're one they're the best team in the SWAC. They're undefeated. He's lost five games in three years. I mean, he made that conference better. The SWAC champion isn't sitting here at eight and four or, you know, nine and right. three. They're undefeated. So I, I just feel like the criticism of of what, you know, he's supposed to be Eddie Robinson, right? The next Eddie Robinson committing his life to coaching in an HBCU. That was great for Eddie Robinson, and it was and, and like we said, unfortunately, opportunities were limited. Mm-hmm. How I'm many thinking, different companies Bomani Jones worked for? Yeah, no, no kidding. I, I just don't think it's it's fair to make have those expectations placed on Deion Sanders that he's supposed to be the next Eddie Robinson and make this his life's work and his life's mission. All right, nine forty four. It's time for. That's the story of the greatest sport moment in all of history. It's time to take a trip back in time. It's this day in sports history. All right, we go back to 1940. The Chicago Bears beat the Washington Redskins. Want to take a guess on the score? In what year? 1940. I'm going to go 3 to 2. Oh, you're not anywhere even close. 73 to nothing. The Bears beat the Redskins. Stop Bears. Stop Bears. Stop Bears. Uh, 1948, SMU junior Doak Walker wins the Heisman Trophy. 1961. He right. Hey, he was bad. He's a pretty good player. He's a good little player. Good little player. Uh, 1961, Wilt Chamberlain scores 78 points, grabs 43 rebounds, and a triple overtime loss. And Not to mention three cocktail waitresses. Does, does well and, at the bar after. <laughs> They lost 151 to 147 to the Lakers. Elgin Baylor had a pretty good game for the Lakers that night. He only, he only but he only scored 63. Yeah. Well, it's like, come then on. Then went home to the wife. And then went home to the wife, yep. Uh, 1977, Texas running back. Tyler Rose, Earl Campbell, wins the Heisman Trophy. Uh, 2002, Rich Gannon sets an NFL record with his 10th 300-yard passing game of the season. Throwing for 328 in the Raiders' 27-7 win over San Diego. Breaking a tie with Dan Marino, Warren Moon, and Kurt Warner. One of these guys is not like the others. Sorry, Rich Gannon. Sorry. You know, though, you look back at Rich Gannon's career. 
He had a good one. It wasn't. It wasn't bad at all. It really. I mean, he went from being kind of a journeyman guy early on, mobile quarterback, could run around, make plays, mm-hmm. and then he kind of settled into being a, a pretty darn good starting quarterback. Uh, Two thousand seven, still beloved in these parts. Florida quarterback Tim Tebow becomes the first sophomore to win the Heisman Trophy. Also on this day, two thousand eleven. Three-time NL MVP Albert Pujols agrees to a $250 million 10-year contract with the L.A. Angels. And one more Heisman one today. 2012, Texas A&M quarterback Johnny Manziel becomes the first freshman to win the Heisman Trophy. All right, 946. We'll take a break. We'll come back and wrap it up with some garbage time. That's on the way on the Jim Davis Show on the Team Sports Network. Who do I listen to? The Jim Davis Show on Colorado's sports leader. Whoever suggested that has got to be smoking crack and plenty of it. The team. Welcome back. Jim and the Buckeye Boy from the Bozarth Miller Chevrolet Buick Studios. The most trusted name in automobiles. Tomorrow's program. We'll chat with uh, Don Baver, coach of the Palisade Girls. are playing in the Glenwood Tournament. And also uh, Kyle Crowder, Delta Panthers girls basketball coach as well. So next week we'll uh, focus in on a lot of the local high school wrestling teams. So uh, we'll have that coming up next week. Did boys basketball last week, girls basketball this week, and then get into the wrestling season where uh, Fruita Monument Central off to really, really good starts on the mats for uh, Lucas Archuleta and Clint Trujillo. So uh, we'll have that coming up next week on the program. All right, 950 Time to hop in the dumpster. It's garbage time. We're taking out the trash. It's garbage time on the Jim Davis Show on the team. Oh, I love trash. All right, have you seen the XFL uniforms yet? I have not. They released them. They they had a segment on SportsCenter yesterday because ESPN ABC is going to be very involved with the uh, the XFL telecasting the games coming up in February. I'm uh, taking a look at them. There's none of them. Yeah, I just, right? mo- most of my, I, there's none of them. I just go, oh, that's awful. That's a terrible looking uniform. The, the Houston Roughnecks, it's, it's got an interesting look to it. It's like half, it's supposed to look like the Texas flag. Mm-hmm. And they've got kind of, they had to change it a little bit because the Oilers like, yeah, the, the Tennessee Titans, of course, the, artist formerly known as the Houston Oilers. There were some issues about the logo looking too much like the Derrick. And so they kind of changed it. And it still it still looks kind of like that, but they did a little tweaking on it. But it's weird because half the helmet's blue and half the helmet's white. Hmm. To kind of look like the Texas flag. It went the kind of like the Jags helmet disaster. Kind of, but it's just like it's like right down the middle. Huh. One side's white, one side's blue. But the jerseys look good. It's not a bad-looking uni. Arlington's got that nice little baby blue look to them. Yeah. Vegas, the Vegas Vipers, it has like a little snakeskin kind of mm-hmm. patch down the side of the pants. That's not bad. It's not a bad look. Uh, the DC Defenders, kind of a plain-looking uniform. Well, they kind of were anyway. Yeah. Seattle looks like University of Miami. I mean, they're they make the Broncos orange look tame. Yeah, they are very, very orange. The new sorry Seattle Sea Dragons. 
Same thing, right? They were the Seattle Dragons before. Now I guess they're Sea Dragons. Uh, St. Louis Battlehawks, which was a very popular team yeah. in, in the league that year. Their uniforms look pretty good. They're pretty much what they... Well, Air Force were. Colts-ish look. Very much, yeah. You have the Orlando Guardians. They were originally the New York Guardians. And they kind of changed the color scheme a little bit. They're, they're a little Seattle Seahawk, that uh, neon green mm-hmm. look about them. But they're not bad. It's not a bad-looking uniform. I mean, most of them are okay. The one that's, I think, kind of cool-looking is the 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 newest one of the bunch, because most of these names are and locations have been recycled from, from the previous iteration. Yeah. The San Antonio Brahmas, which has the connection... Obviously, to the, the rock, rock, the Brahma Bull, the Brahma Bull. They're they're a good. It's a good looking uni. The the gold with the black. Yeah, it's a good looking uniform. Yeah. I would say most of them. I I think not bad or not bad at all. None of them look amateurish. Look stupid. Now we'll see how good the football is going to be moving that forward. Could look amateur. That could be. You know what though? But the last time. With the, the last version of this, it wasn't bad. It was some pretty good football. True. It was all right. Yeah, it wasn't bad. And can they get people to go out and watch it? Because the last time they did, they were able to mm-hmm. to get fans to show up. And now I just kind of wonder what's going to happen with the USFL, which is the Fo- Fox-owned league where they played at the one location they you know they had they had the Philadelphia Stars and all these teams, but none of them you know played in their home cities. Right, they played in one spot. And it's supposed to be coming back. I just wonder how long it's going to last, though. Yeah, because how can you make it continue if you now have got it? You've got a, a competitor that's got a big TV deal with ESPN and ABC, and they're going to be playing in home cities. They're not going to be there every week. They're going to they're going to have the base in Dallas. The hub, and then they'll fly to Washington. They'll you know to D.C. in both Washington State, and they'll play in these in the home cities where they're gonna have, actually fans will have a chance to watch them and build a fan base. I don't know how they're going to be able to compete with that. I, I don't see how they will either. Anyway, but most of the uniforms look pretty good. Not bad. All right, that's our show. I'll be back with you tomorrow morning at seven.